I'm in a happy mood now, Brandon. I mean, this was this was about inflation, dude. Running hot. The market also works for the the beautiful summer day. Well, it's red. It is red hot. I wish we could do a virtual conga line. Like at your wedding. Did we do? Oh, oh, I think we, we did limbo. I think we, did. we did limbo. limbo and by limbo. the way, I was awesome at it. I think, if you remember. I don't. Oh. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode 110 of the Light Shed Podcast. Richard S. Greenfield, Walter Pisick, Brandon Ross, June 10th, 2022. Survived another one. What did we survive? A week in the market. Oh, a week. Yeah. Yeah. We, we made it through this week. Um, I don't even know what's going on right now, but um, what do you want to talk about? Um, inflation, I guess, inflation. is sort of the... Walt, sort called, of- Walt called this month. So good job, Walt. Did you take the necessary precautions in your personal account? Um, well, I'm just still waiting for my savings accounts that even rise one basis point from the 0.0001 that we're getting and yeah how, how why is that actually i don't know joe's got some conspiracy theory he can tell us later <laughs> of course it's joe, joe, joe always has a conspiracy theory that's for sure it's not true brandon but we we you know what was sort of funny is that we had all of these companies just a couple of weeks ago sort of downplaying you know remember snap came out and everyone was like oh snaps isolated this this isn't really all that bad and no that was on the economy and it, not inflation right sure but they're all sort of linked together right i mean inflation going much higher quickly prices going up sort of cutbacks at companies reducing well, what's, yeah what's interesting is that prices are going up inventory levels are going higher so theoretically you there should be that should cycle through to less demand right which should bring prices down i don't know are, what you, am I are you an economist now no i'm not an know. economist so all, I, all I know is I w- shut up all i will say is um yeah exactly <laughs> shut up and dribble um all i will say is um you know we'll i can't to, dribble. We'll, we'll get to that topic later. a little bit with my right yes. hand if i look I talked to my my long guy, and he was telling me how expensive his new machine costs and fuel costs. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, dude, you just got to increase price. 25% on the spot went up. I, I did go to buy cherries yesterday, and they were $13 a pound. Is that normal? I don't know. What were they like a year ago? Probably like six or seven. I did like actually notice it and it, i didn't get the rainier cherries you know those white ones because no. they were like 16 bucks a pound and i was like i really should you know probably not spend 16 dollars a pound 
for some fruit. Maybe it's time to downgrade to just grapes. <laughs> grapes are expensive too. If you get, especially like the cotton candy grapes, they're like, those are like 11 or $12 a pound. I think you ever freeze those. They're, they're good. You freeze them. And then, yeah, it's nice. No, I I've never done that. Okay. All so right, what do we got in the first slide? slide one. Yeah. Well, the first as one much is as the, I'd I, like to talk about fruit, especially stone fruit in the summer. Well, we'll get to apples later. <laughs> so Meat clever, man. Rich. Uh, I'm trying. But our first one's from Lindsay Rittenhouse. Microsoft has paused its TV advertising, one of the first indicators of the economic slowdown's impact on ad spending. And, you know, I just sort of had a lead with this when we had all of these companies sort of ad agencies as well as TV companies saying, yeah, we're not really seeing anything yet as if TV is ever the leading indicator versus programmatic on mobile or on digital. And here we are just, you know, literally, I think two or three weeks later, and we're already starting to see TV ad spend impacted. And, you know, to the extent that what you guys were just talking about in terms of inflation being above expectations and why the market I'm sure is getting crushed today, it's hard not to worry that by the time you get into sort of the fall as a lagging indicator, that all of TV is going to be seeing declines in, in ad spend year over year. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> nothing not shocking TV, about it that. Just, it just sure, ad but, spend in general. We've been through, you know, together, Rich, you and I have been through multiple cycles. And in our career, we've been through an additional cycle on top of that. And we, we yeah, have, this Brandon. Is, this is what happens. In but, but, but there's a difference this time, but there's a huge difference this time around, which is in the what, past. What, the Fed can't bail us out because they can't cut rates and they're raising them instead? What? No, that Stag all of these companies, no, that all of these companies that we follow in media have been taking all of this cash flow and burning it in streaming. And so now they have, their core businesses were growing now their core businesses are going to be declining at the same time that they're trying to invest yeah. in streaming. Yeah. It'll be interesting. If you're talking about um, traditional media in video, that is correct. exactly correct. And so do they start cutting back more aggressively if all of a sudden they see negative ad sales and greater cord cutting? It'll just be interesting to see what do they do in terms of their marketing spend, level of investment, just what do they Investment do in content you're speaking to. Or, or maybe marketing. I mean, yeah. there's huge marketing budgets for Peacock and for Paramount Plus and just what happens if we start to see negative advertising, not just in linear TV, but also in connected TV. I mean, what would that look like? You know, we were out with you know, several companies last week on the West Coast, and it definitely sounded like even connected TV ad sales is definitely slowing. Yes, that definitely was the case. Um, no doubt sounded, about it from multiple I mean, meetings. Yeah, and, and in one meeting in particular um, where you had, we got to talk about both what's happening in connected TV and in linear television. They were seeing the impact in connected TV already, but weren't yeah. seeing it in linear. And we've talked about this like seven times in the last eight weeks, this sort of um, cadence now of... Uh, direct response, uh, programmatic going first, and then probably connected TV, and then linear television to follow based on the uh, the 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 amount of lead time on planning. I will tell you, I am look. We'll move on, but I'm very much looking forward to September conference season when everyone has to talk about what they're seeing in terms of the advertising impact from the economic slowdown. It should be and I and I'm looking forward to our earning scorecard, which is tracking the number of times the word inflation is being mentioned on conference calls. Well, what's the next slide? 
I have a I have a feeling, Walt, it's going to skyrocket this quarter. I have a we'll feeling. Say. We'll never know. We'll see. Or maybe so, we will know. So Fortune, um, this is a story that was everywhere. Actually, we should have had the business insight. I don't know why we have Fortune here. But Roku stock jumps 10% amid rumors of a Netflix acquisition. This is a story that Claire Atkinson broke at Business Insider this week. And uh, while you know, the, the funny part of the story was it was all based on what Roku employees would like to happen, meaning Roku it, employees. That's hilarious. By the way, that might indicate morale is not that high at Roku <laughs> if they're like <laughs> hoping to get bought by Netflix. Look, I, I, you know, it's, it almost reminds me, Walt, you and I have talked for many years about when everyone says, well, Apple should buy us. Like, you know, it's sort of like the default Apple or Amazon should buy you. I feel like you know, the fact that, that Roku it, employees want a bailout. Look, on the surface, right, if if you don't kind of like really think about it, you're like, oh, Netflix is getting into advertising. They have no ad infrastructure. Their advertising is on televisions. It Maybe it makes sense to buy Roku. And sure. Roku used to be you know, a part of Netflix. Obviously, like the backstory is that Reed told Anthony go start a yep. separate company. Um, that being said, at its core, Netflix is still an SVOD business that is that who's been pretty focused over time. And that focus is on selling subscriptions with advertising that they're saying being at best 20% of revenue in the future to go and get in the hardware business. Um, highly competitive, totally highly competitive. competitive and divert your focus, you know, deeper into advertising and away from what you do best seems dubious at best. And additionally, Netflix needs to be Switzerland in a lot of regards. Right. And when there's another streaming war going on, in addition to the one that they're in, right, on SVOD AVOD, being the other one being OS, why do you want to jump into that war also? Yeah. And, and it you know, opens I've, you to more, probably more um, regulatory scrutiny, don't you think? Like at some point, if you if, control the devices into the home, especially the leading device, in yeah. the home, probably. It just, Again, I understand why Netflix would want to build its own advertising infrastructure versus outsourcing to the trade desk, although it does sound like they're going to outsource initially. But to to wedge yourself to one- It sounds like TTD is going to be the real beneficiary out of the gate for this based on multiple checks. All I know is Roku generates all of their rev, almost all of their revenue from other people getting other, cutting a cut of other people's business, whether it's, you know, Paramount Plus or whether it's Peacock and- those relationships, if you were running Roku and Netflix as one company, dealing with third parties, I, I have to imagine would be so much more challenging to the business. I agree, Brendan. Like staying Switzerland feels like it, it, it honestly feels absurd. So like, I don't think we should spend more time on it. I don't think this transaction is happening. I think this is wishful thinking by Roku employees. And look, the competition in TVOS, everything we see, Comcast Charter, we've talked about a few weeks ago. Everything we see is it's heating up and getting more intense. And that is exactly the problem. And I'll tell you, I was at a Best Buy this week. The amount of TVs, talk about sort of like inventory levels, like TVs were just piled up, like clearly not moving and just piled up all over the floor, more so than usual. And just looked like a, the store was just a mess, but the TV pileup was was what, notable. Any, anything notable 
on uh, products being highlighted, any pay for placement, anything like that. I mean, that. Samsung was very aggressive on pay for placement. Samsung was very, very aggressive. Well, they we saw are. a lot of Samsung, a little bit more Android than I've probably seen in the past or Google TV than I've seen in the past. But I mean, my biggest takeaway was the store was just a disaster. Like the worst I've ever seen the store. <laughs> Some shelves empty and then TVs just littered everywhere you could find in boxes. The only thing Definitely. that doesn't surprise me about this discussion that you had is that this was not a Josh Cosman story. I mean, it was Claire. Um, yeah. who's usually pretty good. Although the other thing that she reported on this week was, um, was uh, Netflix formula one. And I guess we'll get to that at some point in, in this, but also a little bit skeptical about that one. So the other big news of the week was um, Bob Chapik, who still doesn't have his contract renewed by Disney, firing a top TV lieutenant and maybe most interestingly, top lieutenant to Rupert Murdoch prior to the Fox and Disney transaction. Many thought that Rice would take over um, if Chapik ever got removed or that he wanted Chapik's job. Now you sort of have Rice being axed as sort of the clearly not ascending to the throne. And the board put out a statement, uh, and I'll read this. Um, this is from Susan Arnold, who's chairman of the Walt Disney Board. The strength of the Walt Disney Company's businesses coming out of the pandemic is a testament to Bob's leadership and vision for the company's future. Yet they didn't surprisingly renew his contract, which is sort of maybe we're all reading. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it, it is odd. You, you, you know, you could have just renewed his contract and not even made any statement. And that would have spoken for itself. It's interesting that they put out a statement rather than just renewing the contract. But I don't know whether to read into that or not. Um, it was this move by Chapik as I listened to you and read there that he was thought to be, you know, next in line after Chapik, a defensive move by Chapik as he has no contract to cut the head off of the person who could have taken over for him? I don't know. I mean, he, you know, I mean, that's some real conspiracy theory stuff, but look, I don't know. It's a great question. I, I will say that Rice is being replaced by Dana Walden. And I don't think anyone sort of, there wasn't sort of the sense that Walden was eyeing Chapik's job. Whereas everyone from day one, from Disney Fox, everyone has believed Rice wanted that job or was in line potentially for that job. So you could be right that this is sort of removing a threat to Chapik. Um, it also was sort of a, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, it did seem like there was sort of too many layers of Disney content management and so this may also but sort of be cleaning isn't it up. Rice very, very well thought of. He is um, in Hollywood, and certainly, you know, I mean, Murdoch's one of the largest shareholders of Disney. Very well thought of by Rupert throughout the many decade. So I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with this. It feels my gut is that this is the board supporting Chapik. But again, if they really were supporting him, his contract expires in February. Why don't we see a new contract? Let the proof will be when he gets a new contract. And until then, this is clearly removing a threat. But how positive this is from the board to Chapik, I guess we're going to have to see. To be continued. Dot, to dot, be continued. Dot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Walter? Oh, man. I was really expecting to say, Walt, a little, a little HBO Max. Walter, I am trying Walt, not to do that. Little, I am trying. It is I'm now trying time, not to do that. everyone, prepare yourself for a telco-related segment. So, so when I don't do that, I still get abuse. It's honestly, I can't win. I literally cannot win. 
It, there's literally there's no oh, thank you. Just it's amazing. Thank oh, you. No, for it's amazing. What? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Me, hey, thank Walt, you for giving me a can you, to talk about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the Walt, fuck? Can you thank Rich for giving you some airtime? Rich, thank you for this brief telco intermission. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure the only reason it made it in because this is house to, music because it relates to the <laughs> it relates to the uh, the media business and set break everyone for our, for, <laughs> exactly. I literally dislike both of you. I just want that for the so record. For our podcast listeners, the tweet that's on the screen is from CNET News, and it says AT&T adjusts top unlimited plan, removes unlimited elite and HBO Max option, which basically means it's a bad tweet. It basically means they're taking away HBO Max as an incentive for customers to upgrade to these higher end rate plans. Old people are, the old ones are, are locked in. But again, it's it's so why? Why do you do that? You to, well, you, you, you sold a business. You did sell a business. Sure. But there's there was intercompany costs. But yes, there's actual costs associated with HBO Max. There was intercompany costs. But I hear you on that. Well, now, it, now it's not anymore. It but, was intra-company costs. Sorry, now it's inter, inter, intra, right? whatever. My bad. Yes, yeah. correct. So, But the bigger issue here is what we've talked about on this podcast many times is the search for revenue growth and how telcos have tried to use bundling streaming services to get people to higher rate plans. So AT&T is effectively abandoning that as a lever to pull to get you to upgrade to a higher rate plan. Why? And the question is why? Why okay. would it be less effective today than it was a year ago? Well, so one, you'd have to say that you're getting a return for the investment, which I think you are. Um, in terms of showing higher revenue. Two, if people are just going on these higher rate plans and then getting the HBO Max, but they're not going because of HBO Max anymore, right? You've saturated the number of people that care about upgrading because of, in AT&T's case, HBO Max, or in T-Mobile's case, because of Netflix, um, and in Verizon's case, because uh, actually, I'm not sure, it's more of a case for Verizon with Disney Plus, um, then why incur the cost? Right, you're going to increase your margins right. if you do not offer that anymore. You're not getting the revenue lift because of it, so you might as well take away that incremental cost of having to actually pay Zaz, you know, for those for those services. So the point is that. So should me, we be worried about Verizon abandoning Disney next year for um, high end subs? I don't know if they're abandoning it, but you, we should be worried about Verizon being able to eat, meet their revenue targets because they're not getting enough people to upgrade. To higher rate plans, which is stuff that, as you know, we've written about. So, no, 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 I know. I'm just thinking out loud of like, do others I mean, follow suit on this? If it's not, if it's not adding the incremental higher rate plans, is this a sign of things to come for T-Mobile and well, for just, Verizon in the next 12 months? I just think it's something that it's. We've actually talked about here before. It's not surprising. Like promotions address a segment of the market, and I think telcos and perhaps some media analysts believe that there's just this infinite demand for people that give a shit about Netflix and Disney plus and other things. And the reality is you saturate people that care about that within a quarter or two. And then the rest of the population is like, yeah, I'll just keep hanging on my own, or I just don't care about Netflix or Disney plus. And it's just, it's showing a saturation of that rebundling of the market uh, in terms of the telcos adding all these additional services, I think. Could be wrong. One we'll other takeaway. Yes. One, I didn't know that CNET still existed. <laughs> and two, that new logo is horrible. Okay. 
We're going to move on from that. <laughs> I, think they, I think they got bought. I could be wrong. On a lighter Probably. note. <laughs> on a lighter on a, note. No, it was CBS, a, right, Rich? CBS. CBS owns it, yes. Well, it's now, Paramount. It's, now it's Paramount. It, that's core. So speaking of Spotify, Brandon, they you want to kick us it off? off for like 10 million bucks. D- do you want to kick us off on Spotify or you want me to? Oh, this week was the Spotify Investor Day. Rich attended in person. As How would you, you know? Could, as you could see, oh, Rich, Rich is so proud of this. As you could see by looking at the screen, um, Rich, the shape, the unmistakable shape of Rich's head is implanted directly in the center of the webcast. And Rich for the entire this, three and a half hour webcast, for the whole three and a half hours. And I know Rich loved that because he believes he is a fill in the blank, Walt. Celebrity. Um, Celebrity. Also, ever, all our listeners should know that Rich did refer to himself as a celebrity twice in the same meeting this week. In I'm never going to live this down. I think you should take that silhouette. He was really um, trying to get oh, an allocation. <laughs> yeah, you should take that. Well, sil- you should t- take that silhouette and make it your profile picture. Ooh, I like that idea. Or Very we should mysterious. put or we should put it on the cover of our deck for fun too <laughs> or we can we should release it to the to the apes and have them do some good oh that'd be great head. they could put like a one penny cent on it or something like that that would be great i mean the apes were so creative with um the little they're really good uh, at the photos and stuff that they yeah. they made out of you rich yes. i think one day we should just i don't know have a segment of the podcast where we have a contest which is all of the Rich Greenfield uh, Photoshop pictures. And then we pick the winner and inform them on Twitter. And then create an yeah. NFT out of it and sell it and then keep the money to and really engage it. them. And sell it just to burn some gas. <laughs> Rich, was, exactly. Rich, was there anything interesting at this um, Investor Day, Spotify? The, the, the one thing that was interesting <laughs> at the Investor Day, Walter, was the, the big knock on Spotify has been that basically nothing is working. That basically, hey, they couldn't get their music label deals to work. And then they tried to get this marketplace B2B thing to work and that didn't work. And then they went to podcasting and that didn't work. And now they're going to advertising and that didn't work. Like that's been sort of the bare thesis is that literally they keep throwing quote unquote shit against the wall and nothing is working. And what finally Spotify, after sort of pushing them for many years, has really come out of firing and basically showed everyone that music margins, in fact, have moved up very nicely. The chart we have here is that they're already into 28% plus, well on their way. 28.5%. I remember, I don't know why I remember this, Rich. 28.5% same currency, 28.3% actual. But trying to show people that this- What was it in 2018 at the time of the IPO? It was like 26, 20 or something like that. So you've moved up nicely on the margin side. Yeah. And while podcasting is still an investment phase, meaning negative, they talked about why it's going to be 30% plus or 40% plus over time. And so they really went after the margin side of the story because the big knock has been that this cannot be a, a, this is not a good business. And I think they came out from Daniel through the whole team firing on why this actually is a good business. And most of our companies don't actually take good profits and invest it into the future to build Spotify is actually trying to do that. They just haven't done a very good job of explaining it. And I think that was sort of the main takeaway. And again, I don't think what they showed is a game changer. I think it'll be a game changer if they keep reporting it annually and show 
meaningful progress against this. And so I was encouraged. The street, obviously, I mean, today aside, I think the street looked at it pretty positively in terms of how they reacted to it because they finally like lifted up and showed what they're actually doing under the cover for the first time ever. Yeah, I mean, we've heard, well, first of all, everyone has always assumed that the label negotiations every two years would be the source of margins on music yep. moving up. And they actually also showed you what marketplace looks like. And that chart was pretty eye-opening, especially the growth in the in the 2021 there was bananas. So the labels may not like it, but the Spotify but they're, is no, they're they're clearly um paying for the data or whatever else um com- comes in they're shifting their marketing spend from end caps at walmart and end caps at target to marketing spend on spotify and i think that's the key that people wanted to see in spotify but hadn't yet actually had the numbers to prove and understand wonderful walter Rich, i think you have is- to see this up Oh, Rich, Walt's talking. Let me go to the bathroom. First of all, thank you for another tweet, Rich. I'm so appreciative. This is uh, a this, this is a, we're going strong Pisic today. This is a very long Pisic podcast. Well, this is this is friend. It's not long because I keep my shit tight. This is from friend of Light Shed, Peter Kafka. Um, reminder that a lot of people. Well, you know, what? I'm going to explain first of all what he's tweeting about. Um, Kate, but there's a story about Kate Bush's running up that hill, which is a song that she had from the 80s which was as if those of you that have watched um, stranger things, it's one of the songs that's featured there races back into the UK top 10, thanks to stranger things. And Peter says, remember reminder that a lot of people, 220 million of them, give or take still subscribe to Netflix more than enough to make a 37 year old song, a smash hit pointing point point being right. in the discover in the, in the thirst for discovery of music content, whatever, you know, the power that Netflix and their shows has in, you know, complementary media verticals. I think right? it also shows the incredible success of Stranger Things because not only is Stranger Things the number one show on Netflix um, over the last week, but seasons two, three, sorry, seasons one, two, and three. That's the music, by the way. In case anyone yeah. wants to know what song well, we could, it was. we could Thank have you. had it as our as our outro music, but I think most of our listeners are probably Gen X or older, so I think we're good. <laughs> but 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 Netflix, we all Str- are. <laughs> Stranger Things seasons two, three, one, two, and three are also in the top four. So Stranger Things has all four places in the most watched series, and it shows two things to me. One, the vibrancy of the franchise um, that you know a franchise that's never been in a movie theater, just to be clear. Um, just because I think it's funny how people sort of forget well, that you can generate show, huge so franchises. <laughs> no, I know, but I just think there's still like this view that you can't create franchise like Game of content. Thrones? Exactly. That's my whole point is that it happens all the time without being in a movie theater. But then also the fact that, you know, Netflix clearly had a very tough um, Q1. It'll be interesting. Bars very low for Q2. They clearly have a breakout hit in Stranger Things fueling this quarter. Will that lead to better than expected performance? We're going to say the irony is, I think it's, it, you know, I think Stranger Things, had they released it in the theater, even if they did it one episode at a time over a couple of weeks or maybe combined two at a time, how long are they? About 45 minutes? Yeah. Two at a time. Um, if some theater like did a deal with Netflix to buy the rights that you get, like it's, it would be a great, you know, summertime movie. It's, you know, that people would go to the theater to see. 
instead you have to go community. see Jurassic World this weekend if you really but, want to but see. It, that would be a great what um, Tarantino said in terms of community experience had, had people been able to watch that thing in the theater so I think maybe Netflix you've got a lost opportunity there maybe you need to explore other distribution channels to fully monetize your the content that you're investing in thank you and the, the last piece of this and then we'll move on is just while Kafka talks about 220 million people using Netflix the reality is that's households and with password sharing right. with password sharing you're probably up to 300 million Three, households 330 yeah and with and with three people per household, you're probably talking about. It's probably not crazy to believe that there's 800 million plus, maybe even a billion people yeah, that, no, that like have eight, net access eight, to eight Netflix content. Is, I think right. So as a result, um, the Cape. I don't know if she's still alive. Maybe her it's her or her people. So this is going to generate what like a sixty dollar check from Spotify for all this <laughs> listening, Rich. <laughs> I, I think it'll be funny. slightly larger than that. To be okay. honest, that's not what the content people say, but bygones next yeah i mean but just like tying that up look it shows the importance of franchises for these streaming services anyway and like netflix this really is netflix's only like true franchise would you say i mean the massive franchise i think this is like like real franchise and as they direct their energies on the 18 to 20 billion dollars of content spend it probably behooves them to, you know, allocate that towards things that they think can become franchises. Wasn't that Jason Bateman show on Netflix? Ozarks. Yeah. Look, is that a franchise or a good show? Right. Because Ozark doesn't transcend the television. And you don't see people going back and bombing through the prior three seasons like that at that volume. Well, I mean, they definitely caught my, but if you look at like stranger things is, kind of a multi-platform phenomena um it's something that you'll see you know people make youtube videos of social media um roblox experiences all these other things there could you know there has been a cp element brand activations um around it it's the only real content that they have that fits that kind of disney bill and just and just confirming the point that I made earlier, which is they should have released it in a theater, in addition to being online. Because look, even if it's like day and date, like but it's a TV show, bro. Okay, but it would have translated everything you just said. Also means that it would have translated to the big screen, for sure. No, no, no. Sorry, that was a miscue. Netflix, you screwed that one. <laughs> Sorry. You suck. Let's go to some fruit, Walter. Well, let's start with um, <laughs> something we had some interesting debates about or d- discussion. SharePlay came to messages, and I was very excited about this. Um, what you were excited about was SharePlay in general. That was that's the source true. of the thing. And I was like, and you were like trying to explain what it was. I was like, dude, that came out a year ago. Yes, that was very embarrassing for me. <laughs> Why is that embarrassing, though? It was well, me. I, I, You're I, the I, one I, who brought it into the podcast to embarrass no. yourself. I love the self-deprecation, though, as you know, I'm very good. Yeah, no, I have to own it. I have, I have to own it. I should have remembered that SharePlay was exist, uh, existed before. Um, so you dunked on me appropriately enough. But then in similar- private. <laughs> Well, that's fine. I'm whatever. That's life. So what was interesting, though, um, I want to relate this to CarPlay. 
because the same thing happened to Gene Munster, um, who is former Apple analyst and has his ventures business now that invests in public-private stocks. He said he was talking about CarPlay announcement. CarPlay, I don't know if people saw this, but Apple, everyone knows Apple CarPlay, but they really did a very interesting profile at the event where they showed it taking over your the screen right above where your your wheel would be, right? Your your home, what I would call the home screen. I'm sure car guys don't call it that, but dashboard. Um, dashboard. So I was like, holy shit. First of all, I'm like, look, no auto manufacturer are going to do that. And Gene rightly tied this to the Motorola rocker, which was like the pre-iPhone phone that like Roker, whatever. I don't remember that at all. I but remember. they did. I was I was at the event at Motorola when jobs went up on the screen, but that was like, you know like that was the starting point. And then they basically came out with their own phone, which the point here is that like, it was perhaps a preview of how great an Apple car could be. And look, an acknowledgement, I think most people with a brain realize that like, it's going to be hard to get car guys to turn over their entire screens like that. Anyway, what was funny is like, I listened to, to Gene on a podcast with, I think it was Dan Nathan, and he was reacting the same way I was reacting about SharePlay. This is new, this is blah, blah, blah. And, the rea- and then- Ben Thompson pointed out on a separate that they actually they talked about these this functionality on the CarPlay from like three years ago, meaning that Apple said three years ago that you can you know have settings that control your air conditioning and see the speedometer. Like so, this has existed for three years, but it was profiled in a way as if it was new and exciting, and most people perceived it that way. Even Gene Munster, like the king of all Apple. It was very new to me, Walter. It was very new. So, was I mean, is, so is that the problem with Apple? They're just regurgitating stuff and like people can't keep up with all their stuff. Like, oh my God. Well, there's so much it, fucking it, information in the world, right? right? Who, who it, was it that said that Eddie Q was like, you know, who said we can't innovate or something like that? <laughs> uh, and then on kind of following on WWDC this week was, sort of all eyes are sort of what's happening to the advertising world after what happened last year. And, you know, I guess, Brandon, we have this tweet from Eric Seifert. Uh, Apple published its WWDC 2022 session on AT&T today, which makes a very explicit declaration about fingerprinting. Fingerprinting is never allowed. While Apple didn't reveal any technology to block fingerprinting, my sense is that it escalates enforcement henceforth. And so I guess the question is going to be, what does this actually mean for everybody that's trying to figure out a quote unquote workarounds yep. for what Apple did last year? And I think that's, I don't know if we know the full takeaway yet, but it certainly sends a warning shot, which is sort of what we were talking about in the Valley last week when we were out in California, sort of everyone worried that this, what happened last year was just step one. Yeah. And I mean, it, App Lovin was actually like pretty specific about this. Um, you don't know what they're going to do in terms of um, privacy until really the full version of the new iOS comes out is probably when they'll announce it. But there should be clues in the code base on the beta as to what that is. And I guess nobody has really dug into that that deeply yet. Um, obviously, we're not qualified to do it. But over the next week or two, there should be some better guesses as to what privacy enforcement looks like. Right. But, but, when it, it, but it says using signals from the device to try to identify the device or the user is, quote, not allowed. Yeah. No, I mean, they were pretty explicit so, about that. But that that's not new, right? <laughs> No, but I think there's a lot of people trying to do workarounds and sort of trying to effectively get there 
off, you know, maybe off the phone and, you know, doing it on a third party basis. And it'll be interesting to see how does this affect SDKs and how does this flow into other companies and other businesses? I think there's a lot more to this to keep an eye on. Speaking of keeping an eye on things, one thing that wasn't announced by Apple, obviously, was anything to do with um, AR glasses or you know anything in terms of metaverse really wasn't discussed. Um, and at the same time, we have uh, this story in the information, Meta's scaling back its plans for AR glasses as the Reality Labs department undergoes a shakeup. And the reason I have this tweet in here, Brandon, is because I think just a few weeks ago, you were on the pod talking about how you thought that sort of Mark's VR vision was going to expand more into AR. And I guess the question is, is that or isn't that actually happening? Yeah. By the way, they also cut back on that watch thing that they were working on. Um, so that's another wearable that came out this week. But um, it sounds like you're making a major, major shift in your business, spending billions and billions of dollars moving billion. from one type of company um, to not another type, but adding this whole um, ad- addition on for the future. And it's not easy, even if you spend a lot of money to get the right people in place and to innovate. Um, And you're seeing that here. I mean, the second one, more exact changes at Meta, the company's top engineering leader is stepping down from the role. And who knows whether this is Zuck not you know, wanting to go as deeply into AR and other wearables that aren't VR, or it's talent and getting um, the product right. We don't know the answer. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out where are they headed? And because I, I, again, I don't, but I mean, what Roblox and for, Epic and like, I see where sort of the tangible pieces of the metaverse are going. I mean, heck, let's go to the next yeah. slide. I mean, we've we've got Snap on the next slide. And this is Matt McGowan, who works at Snap, saying there's over 1 billion Bitmoji avatars just waiting to dance. And it's a game Crazy. studio. Team High Def partners with Snapchat to develop a Bitmoji dance social mobile game. Sort of off you know, Snap. I mean, off yeah, Snap, I, right? But, but again, but this feels like the metaverse identity, in many ways. Like- identity is one of the key elements. No one talks about it, but it is one of the key elements of, of metaverse. And um, and Snap know, is doing that having in a, a virtual billion world. avatars. Now, the the interesting thing about um, about the avatars, though, on Bitmoji is that they're meant to approximate your real life self, like as opposed to I. I look much a, younger in my Bitmoji. I look much younger. So, for instance, here, um, as I switch myself to an avatar, this. This is unlike my uh, Bitmoji. I'm a totally different creation. Correct. That's what you could do in the true metaverse versus you don't have to be yourself. As your well, no, it's just identity. Digital identity creation is one of the aspects of metaverse. There's a lot of other aspects of it that people that people don't talk about. Walter, his eyes everyone, look so much better in this. I, I, I find my it much easier. My eyes, eyes are actually open. Correct. That's why I'm saying it's much better to look at you like this. This is Brandon post eyelid surgery. (laughs) Uh, This podcast is going off the rails, but, but I do think that there is this sort of this, 
Snapchat gets no credit for sort of leading the charge into the metaverse. Mark obviously gets a lot of attention and focus around what Meta is doing. And again, I just keep coming back to, I still can't really figure out what the true application where people are going to live and breathe in the metaverse with Meta versus I feel like what Snap is doing, it feels very tangible and much easier for consumers to adopt over the course of the next three to five okay, years. I, again, like not to beat a dead horse, but metaverse in, is just kind of an extension of what the internet is today. And the internet is accessible in many different ways, in many different formats, on many different devices. And this is just going to... <laughs> Now Walt's doing it. I was I was trying to put that fucking avatar up. I didn't know. I don't even know what I said for like a minute straight because I was paying attention to put the avatar up. And now I'm laughing at these Walt. avatars. Is, these aren't as good these as are terrible ones. No, these, these are, are terrible. They don't even, but it does they don't even show move that around Zoom, when I move around. No, I know, no, but it terrible. does show that Zoom is you know thinking about digital. Zoom identity. should do a deal with Bitmoji. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be pretty sick. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Walter, your favorite topic. <laughs> I will also keep this quick, quick but it's, I quick. think it's important. Quick. It's important to keep, keep people up on what's going on in our regulatory world because at some point we will see deals. Um, so Lena Khan, um, you know, foil of the pod, I guess I would say. Um, there was Arash from Financial Times, Masudi tweeted a quote from Khan saying, you can miss the bigger picture, Khan said in an interview with the FT. Every individual transaction might not raise problems, but in the aggregate, you've got a huge PEs firm controlling, say, veterinary clinics. So that's a concern. So this gets to the, okay, forget about transactions. It's just, okay, a large PE firm controls vet clinics. And this is something that the, the DOJ, or excuse me, the FTC in this case wants to look at. I don't know if there's, you know, true control in terms of number of vet clinics. Like I don't know the vet clinic. I've got dogs. The, the vet clinics that we talk to are independent. So I'm not sure exactly what she's referring to here. Well, but. I think market definition is something the gut regulators are really struggling with. I mean, we certainly see it in media. Like who does, if there was only a way well, to, def- if there was only a way to measure market concentration, like, I don't know, like an HHI, uh, you know, yeah, but 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 hold it's on. Like, I want to stop you there. How do you define there. the market, though? That's it, that's like could, the biggest question. I, I was arguing with someone this yesterday. Could CBS and NBC merge? Just conceptually, it's technically illegal based on government rules. You can't own two broadcast networks. But in a world of Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV Plus, Fortnite, YouTube, TikTok, why are we even talking about whether you can own two broadcast networks or not? And that's sort of the the FTC and DOJ, and not to mention the problem in other countries too, but are they even, when you say HHI, are we adding the right pieces into that discussion? Sure. We can debate the, 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 you know, what the market looks like, you know, and there's some precedents in many cases for how to do that on an individual transaction, which you present to a judge. So if you don't want to deal with companies, and as she said in the past, in terms of negotiating a a consent, take it to court and let's see how you do. We're still awaiting this big court case. Whatever it, it almost right. It, it almost begs the question of like, should somebody try to do a transaction that never would have been conceived possible before 
to push the envelope. Like who's going to try well, to push I mean, regulators? Who the hell, yeah, but who the hell is going to just try and shake up their own business and like fuck with all their employees for the sake of just pushing the envelope? Oh, that, that's when that's the theoretical the, and the practical. Um, right. Not. If you think you're going to get sued, do you yeah. want to go through would, a multi-year? Why would you, why would you right, put you your wanna... employees through that in your business and management focus? Rich, I also feel compelled to point out that it is, in fact, June 10th, and uh, the Biden administration has yet to get a confirmed fifth commissioner at the FCC. And I would assume if the when and I assume again. Uh, November. And if they lose the November midterms, there may never be. We've we've actually never seen an administration not have five FCC members. This would be a first. Uh, well, we're seeing it right now. So no, but we might see it for the entire term if it goes the it does, doesn't get done by November. Next. No, Walt, you know what I thought you were going to say? It's what? June 10th and Robert still hasn't given us <laughs> our estimated Okay, (laughs) because that's your like Uh, typical when you say the date. um, Could we go to (laughs) Brandon for this one? Brandon Ross. Uh, uh, this is from Xbox. A uh, lot of emojis before each of these. Hold on, hold on for a second, Brandon. I don't yes. think we can have inside jokes on this podcast. So for our, let's Why? bring the podcast listeners into our world of our tax accountant, who I've <laughs> insisted provide us with our estimated payments. Two weeks More than in advance, maybe three weeks. And here we are, and it's June 10th, and we still have no idea what we're going to pay the government. Well, I mean, if it, it's not has, that bad, except for the fact that he's been telling us tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. What? 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 I have a lot going on. I have a cocktail party tonight. <laughs> can, can we can we move on to Samsung, please? Please, for the love of God. Uh, all, right, all right. Xbox game with the Xbox app on your Samsung 2022 smart TV. No console required cloud gaming in more places than ever, PC optimization, and new customization options in Xbox Design Lab. So we've talked about many times Xbox versus Sony, and Xbox's over or Microsoft's overarching goal is to get um, video games on, you know, big screens into or the deeper like real the experiences that we think of as console gaming into as many hands across the globe as possible. And everything Phil Spencer is doing is kind of driving towards that. And who's Phil Spencer? Phil Spencer runs Xbox oh, for Microsoft. You. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And here you're by appifying um the by appifying Xbox and tying it to subscription all you just need to open your turn on your television um sync a controller and away you go and you could play xbox games it lowers the barrier of having to actually go out and buy hardware and spend money on hardware i guess except the controller now one thing i was thinking about is in this appification rich um now you have a controller attached to a television yeah. which opens it up for who netflix, netflix. and they're oh, gaming and the funny that. thing is rich when did we go to the the google fiber Ooh. kickoff and that was this was supposed to be the killer app of google fiber when we went to that kansas city launch 
I right? still remember seeing it in the on the back. I remember exactly what we were looking at was two-way gaming, and that's what fiber was going to enable. Yeah. I will say having a box and all those wires, it's a pain in the ass. So I like this concept, but I liked it however many, what was it, 10 years ago than when we, when we saw with Google Fiber. So th well, the question is, how well does it work? Does it work well enough to play every type of game um, cloud-based? And we haven't tried this, but mm -hmm. according to Samsung, and we did have a meeting with Samsung last week, um, they believe that it works perfectly just well, as well. Okay, we'll send, send us connectivity And it, it. it does really make it interesting. Send us a TV for, for free. No, no, but getting yeah. back to your Netflix comment, when you think about sort of the, you know, what this enables, not just for Netflix, but will this open the door to everybody in the streaming video business thinking more seriously about including gaming in that discussion? Yep. Love it, it Brandon. Will. Let's move on to Walter. Uh, Rich, we have uh, a friend of Lightshed Tech Life channel uh, saying, tweeting, AT&T and Verizon submitted to bid in auction 108. Yes, Rich, there is another FCC Spectrum auction. Um, in this every case, year, every year. In this case, this is like the dribs and dribs. This is the, like, if you remember Clearwire back in the day, they had all that spectrum. I do. Oh, I remember and then it went to Sprint. And then it went to Sprint, and now it's a T-Mobile, and like this is the spec. They're still like little two two dot five. Why do they two, say two, two dot two five dot instead of two point know, whatever? Two dot five. So they own most of it, but there's like peripheral. Five. I'm not going to get into the technical details, but there's like peripheral edge areas around it. It shouldn't go for much money. But what's interesting is there really should be zero value for AT and T and Verizon for this spectrum because it's like in again the outskirts of some of these markets. So the fact that they're actually registering to bid in this auction could mean that they just want to try and fuck with T-Mobile and, and jack the price up. We'll, we'll see how what plays out. The bigger issue is T-Mobile, there's large chunks of spectrum um, that people own in key markets like New York that still have to be bought. So I think you know when you look at T-Mobile in general, they still probably have another two to two to five, three to five billion dollars of spectrum purchases yet to make, um, which we, you know, include, I think most people don't, but you know, that all should go into the capital structure of this company. So just an interesting little wonky DC item for the week. More to come. More to come. More to come. Next. Walt, I have a question. Yes, please. Um, Does that tweet remind you of Phil Falcone? <laughs> <laughs> Phil Falcone, who told me I was JV and yeah. You know, I think I, I saw some. I think I, I think I saw some stories uh, about Phil Falcone maybe yeah. moving out of one of his residences that our users could Google. So, <laughs> so we had some surprising news out of Amazon. Um, it, this is from Bloomberg. Amazon plans to quit the 7.7 .7 billion battle to stream India's top cricket league, leaving Sony, Disney, and Reliance in the race. Uh, the 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 if true. And it sounds like from people that we've talked to overnight that this is true. The question is going to be, where does this sort of leave streaming rights? Uh, everything happens on Sunday. So it sounds like we're going to have final news over like sort of where this all ends up on Sunday. So by next week's podcast, we should really have a sense of. Finally. Yeah. And look, this was supposed to be nine months ago. Right. So the question is going to be, where does this leave Disney? And all eyes are going to be on what happens. Are they keeping broadcast rights? Streaming rights, both, neither. 
and how expensive. Just as a reminder for our listeners, Disney was paying $500 million for these rights. And sort of the expectation is that this contract is going north of, like could even be north billion. of a billion and a half. Could it's even just, be north of a billion and a half. It's interesting because everything we were hearing was it was Reliance versus Amazon. Um, Correct. So maybe it's just Reliance's to, uh, to lose at this point or win, whatever it is. And then we have the second tweet there. We do. So why don't you fire away on that one, Brandon? This is from Claire. Um, in case you missed it, Netflix, ESPN, NBC Universal, and Amazon are racing to win U.S. Formula One rights as the global auto sport booms in popularity. So the big surprise in here was Netflix. Correct. Um, and it's interesting because it seemed at least to us that Netflix would, you know, is still hesitant despite this quote, giving up of religion by Reed that everyone talks about to really, you know, spend real money on sports rights, especially in the United States where sports rights are not necessarily, but it, but it is a hundred million, but let's just say they were spending a hundred million dollars. Is that yeah. real money in the I mean, scheme yeah. of a $17 so I, billion I, dollar budget? Yeah, I think like what, when Netflix talks about it, they're probably talking about the big four where you're getting into like, you know, billion dollar plus, you know, in case of the NFL, $2 billion of domestic rights. Um, but I don't think they're going to loss lead on anything. Now, one interesting thing here is obviously Drive to Survive and how Netflix already is thought of as the place for Formula One and kind of the synergy between having that show and having Formula One rights there. And the fact that, you know, if they're going to do something, it's a relatively low dollar investment compared to other sports. And it's and, a very global sport. And, and it fits. Yeah, you're saying it's global, but these are just domestic, right? No, I know, but so it's just sort of like a global kind of brand. Right? Yeah, but it's a global brand that people sort of know and associating the F1 brand, even with Netflix just in one country to start. Yeah, I wouldn't mean, shock one me. country to start and then you kind of go from there. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I mean, if, if Formula One was for sale, I think, you know, that would be interesting to Netflix as a way to although you would lose some focus as a way to um, to get into sports. But I don't know. It, uh, it seems from Netflix like domestic stuff in general isn't where they want to go and big dollars isn't where they want to go on sports. Speaking of big dollars in sports. Leacher Report, Walmart Air Rob Walton will buy the Denver Broncos with a winning bid of $4.5 billion per Forbes. It will be the most expensive sale of any sports franchise. Um, interesting, like even in this time of uh, asset deflation, uh, sports team valuations continue to climb. I was thinking about it kind of vis-a-vis -vis MSG sports stock. Well, which, media rights keeps climbing which, too. I mean, you, ju you just stopped talking about India with a yeah. tripling, like sports media rights have not flattened at all. Don't you think that's the single biggest driver of prices uh, of teams? No, I don't actually. I think okay. that the biggest driver of prices is the amount of 
billionaires out there uh-huh. um, who who, who want, want a trophy, to, yeah, want a trophy and Scarcity to like oh, of, the fuck yeah. you property, right? Yep, I agree. Um, and it's just like if you look at MSGS stock, though, it's now trading at a very, very significant discount to Forbes values. And if you look at the Forbes values on the Knicks and the Rangers, they they look light in the context of this this Broncos deal. I'll say that. Um, additionally, you know, S is going to probably beat numbers with uh, this Rangers playoff run, which we've all been pretty intrigued by. Even myself as an Islanders fan has gotten behind the Rangers um, um, for for this run and. You know these games are going like deep into the into each of these series. That's a lot of additional With great confidence. ratings. Yeah, yeah. Well, the ratings. Yeah, and, and I you think, could argue the cachet of the Broncos relative to those sports teams. Yeah, is is not even close. So I'm just surprised that MSGS is kind of like sitting down where it is um, at this at this point. Uh, we're going to go to my favorite tweet of the week. Also, the last tweet of the week, and I'm going to leave it to Walter to kick us off. Oh, oh, well, what happened? What happened? Where am I? Oh boy! Oh, oh Shri Ram. Make sure you're sitting down. Make sure you're oh. sitting down right now. We're sitting down. Anyway, you have Shri to give Ram. the background on this, though, with Zach Weinberg. Well, so and so Packy. there was yeah, Packy McCormick, who many people might know is is kind of a. Um, I don't want to say, what's the word I'm looking for? Evangelist for crypto. And I think he's also an advisor to A16, of which so is Sriram. Friend of Lightshed. But but I think Packy is a, is now an advisor to them on the crypto side of things. He got interviewed and you know was asked about, like he himself brought up the use case of like, oh, you know, do a real estate sale on the blockchain and like totally flubbed it. Um, and by the way, like someone, I think you, Brandon said, well, at least he owned it, or maybe it was Mark said he owned it. Like, yeah, he owned it, but he didn't say, and he's like, oh yeah, my, someone was in the hospital of a family member. Like there's all these kind of excuses, but he still never came back and said like, what is, how does a real estate transaction work better on a blockchain? Dude, that, that, that was, that was amazing. I've watched but he that come, video but he still is, right. like, like 17 times. I mean, Zach, like. But this is and but this is this is the this is a lot of these guys web three and women web three and crypto in general. It's like you know you just don't understand. You just and then when you ask them to explain, like they can't fucking explain anyway. So well, so the, so then they can get I interrupt on. for a second? No no, no let Walt let Walt okay. read the slide. Let okay, Walt read the slide. So then, so then they get dunked on, and then so he, which he did, and he should have been like suck it up like because you dunk on other people that you don't think understand web three or crypto. And then so Sri Ram, who is a GP at A16, also a friend of Lightshed, says one interesting vibe shit, vibe shift, excuse me, is the rise of the anti anti-crypto media personality. Folks who do the podcast press TV hit hit circuit purely on their opposition to Web3, even when their day job has nothing to do with crypto in any sense. And and basically, and this is what I referred to earlier in the podcast with, with the shut up and dribble, which is what that Laura Ingram nut job yeah, said yeah. about, um, I think it was uh, LeBron, which is yeah. this concept of like, you can't comment on something unless you're literally work. And by the way, in the back and forth on Twitter with Sriram, Afterwards, someone was like, okay, you know, like, do I have to? Sriram at, some, at, at one point said like, well, talk to me when you've actually, you know, built a web three app or something like that. Like, so you can't comment <laughs> or ask about fucking web three 
or crypto. Well, well read Zach. Read Zach's response. Article. Read Zach's okay. response. So Zach's response is basically what I already just ranted about, which is, do you have opinions on healthcare or politics, even though you don't work in the industry? As a smart, rational person, I would assume so. Feels like your statement is just the crypto of equipment equivalent of shut up or dribble, which I basically just explained. Yeah. So Zach, Zach, who did the interview, you know, basically called him out, and it's and it's accurate. Like, you know, and by the way, they were just asking you not you, but his, his fellow a 16 person, like to explain it. Like, so if you can't explain it, just fucking own it. (laughs) Maybe by the way, if there were, you know, some real consumer applications now, then there would be less overall. At least the 5G zealots will say, like Mike Sievert, the CEO of T-Mobile, would be like, well, we don't know what the applications are going to be. And that's what they said about LTE. Like, at least he doesn't, they don't try and one claim thing something. I, one it, thing it's I, also bullshit because everybody was just chiming right in. Now is, is just the hubris on the Web3 portion of that business. Right. And just like the way they, like, the and they block people look down on anyone who right. has kind of any kind of skepticism and like look we've made some web3 investments yeah. um in our venture fund but we're very skeptical about a number of different er- applications and areas of web3 and we ask these questions when we get these people in exactly. our shed lives okay. nothing's black and white and i don't think anyone is like out there trying to like rain on a16 or anyone's parade or our parade even it's just people are you know trying to but figure there was it out also- but there Which was also a healthy number of people, yeah. but there was lots of people outside of crypto pumping up crypto yeah, over the exactly. last eight Yeah, months. going so the like other way. The other- great point, yeah. Rich. It works both ways. That's what I'm getting at. And like, nobody was complaining. Why are all these people promoting crypto? They don't work in crypto. Like, yeah. that to me is the bigger all, point Everyone like, in the VC world enjoyed the markups that it produced. Well, that's what I was sort of getting at is that it goes both ways. Can I just bring up a non sequitur point? Yeah. Because Brandon brought up Phil Falcone. <laughs> sure. You know I that, love the non sequitur. You know that he had once owned a pig that played the piano? Huh? Um, I did not know that. But I, I do know that his name is on, or I think it's still on, is on, um, what's the walk on the west side, Brandon? You see a nice little Phil Falcone. Um, the Highline? The Highline. You see a nice Phil Falcone section of the Highline. With his name, him and his wife's name blazoned on it. That's great. I'm glad he donated to the Highline. It's a wonderful place. What are we listening to, Brandon? This is not a Stranger Kendrick. Things song. Yeah, I don't know how we're not going out to Stranger Things, but we got N95. 101. Time to hit I, it. Bye. This, this Kendrick album, by the way, every time I listen to it, I like it more. Well... It's ninety-five N ninety-five for episode one hundred and one. I don't understand the connection, but I assume there is one. No, it's just I don't know. I was listening to this album, like the song, and figure I just throw it in. It's not always as well thought out as you say it is, Rich. Right? All right. Have a great weekend, everyone. That's episode one ten. Take care. Bye.